Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back. This is America's Heroes Group, this time roundtable with partner veterans, legislative voice. Please join America's Heroes Group now on Global Live Streaming on Facebook Talk Radio. We're live streaming on Facebook. Like and share us so others will become connected. You can also listen to America's Heroes Group on on the iHeartRadio app and also see us on digital TV on platforms like Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and through our App on Roku, the Zondra TV networks. That's Zondra with a Z as in Zulu, O N D R A. Today is Saturday, October 30th, 2021. October is National Breast Cancer and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, U.S. Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a familiar voice on the air today, Ms. Stephanie Collada, U.S. Army Reserve Sergeant First Class. A veteran and founder of the create and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. How are you doing, Stephanie? Doing great. I'm really excited to be here. All right. And you're going to give us an update for the October Domestic Violence Panel Conference. So what was that all about? Yes. Uh, so uh, Military Women's Coalition and also Combat Sexual Assault hosted a panel um, with survivors and also those that are now running and working in nonprofits to help those that were in uh, domestic violence. And this is more specifically towards the families, the military families or the uh, veterans themselves within um, their own couples uh, situation with their domestic violence. This also includes men as well. We got a men, man's story, men's perspective of what was going on in his uh, life and how he really was able to get past that. Wow. So, what are some of the stories that came out of that that conference? So, what is what? I mean, we don't talk to we 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 know that there is such a thing as domestic violence, but we but sometimes I think we tune out the idea that um, people that serve this country actually sometimes come back with scars, and those scars can be taken out on their family members. So, tell, walk us through right. that a little bit, and then also give us maybe some um, some statistics if you have any about how frequent and how pervasive is this problem. Yes. Um, well, the problem is so pervasive, it's actually very difficult to even put a statistic towards it. Um, because it does include the families, um, there's not really an easy, you know, command climate survey for certain things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but for the PTSD that you did mention, it actually becomes a very common narrative for victims of domestic violence to use that as an, as an excuse for their partners. And I mean, nothing against anybody that has PTSD. I have it. Many other people have it. But what the victims of domestic violence um, have trouble understanding is that it's still not an excuse to treat them that, that way. Um, I myself is a domestic violence uh, survivor, and I even use that as an excuse as well. I got out of the relationship because I got deployed while he was deployed, and that was how I was able to escape. Hmm. And certain other victims aren't normally that um, lucky 
I guess. Um, ironically, I, t- I, I was able to communicate what was going on the day I got my weapon for my deployment. Hmm. Um, just that ceremony of getting your weapon was just that much of a push. And for other women, especially those that are dependents of a military personnel, they have a hard time escaping because they a or are uh, the most uneducated population in the United States, or one of the most uneducated say, or they, lowest college. Who is they? They the, the being who? Uh, excuse me, uh, spouses. Okay. The spouses of military uh, personnel are also undereducated, underemployed because of uh, the frequency of deployments, and so that basically creates a very hard financial hardship uh, on the victims. And so they have a hard time getting out. Um, there was cases that they talked about that the military member or military spouse has stolen the dependent's ID just to control her in that way. And so the other issue with also the military spouses or other veteran spouses or even um, military members themselves that are the victims, there isn't a one place on the base installation for those type of situations. Of course, yeah, you can go to the command. You can go to your own chain of command if you're one of the victims. You can go to the chain of command for the one that is the aggressor. But the thing is, is that there isn't a process for that. There isn't like big steps to go into it because often domestic violence is in that gray area of sexual assault, but then it's also a domestic issue. It has nothing to do with the professional side of it. So leaders are often trying to figure out what's the best course of action for that family and for any everyone involved. So they usually point towards the civilian side. Well, the problem is, is that the civilian side, while they do have great resources for civilian families and civilian uh, victims, they don't understand the military side and all the different steps of getting, you know, the no direct contact order, the restraining orders that you can get on bases, those type of things, protective orders that you can get on bases. So one of the survivors have actually created a program, a nonprofit called Operation Foxhole. And they are the ones that um, will help any victim uh, to pretty much show them the ways of how to manage the JAG, the DOD side of all of the things to get themselves set up for success, get themselves out and get themselves treated. So just to, for anybody out there, Operation Foxhole is a very great organization that can help with that. There's another program called the Pink Berets, and they specialize in treating uh, women from the armed forces and veterans affiliated with invisible injuries like PTSD, MST, uh, combat trauma syndrome. And they also do uh, the domestic violence side as well. They do help with that. So they do different therapies like art therapy, group therapies, and things like that. Um, and some of the oh, go ahead, go ahead. some of the panel um, survivors were actually either running it or they actually participated in it. Wow. So it was a pretty awesome thing. So how was it? So you mentioned before that you were in a relationship where, as both being service members, uh, sounds like you're both service members at the time, where both of you had times where you were um, acting out in some way capacity towards your spouse or toward the other person, the other person in the relationship. 
there's what how does that how do you process that psychologically how do you process a receiving it then what's what is how do you feel when you when you're the one that's actually uh, giving the abuse ah see that's a big thing that's one of the things that really needs to be discussed with a mental health um, professional and those type of things are well, I mean, for I mean, you personally. I mean, just you personally. Oh, for me going, personally. Yeah, when you're go, when you're in <laughs> your relationship, so and so what types of things when you were receiving it as a as a person who's in the military, did you mm-hmm. did you separate it in your mind? Okay, this is not something. This is this is something between me and this individual. This is not. I don't see this as a military issue, or maybe I don't see this person acting out because he has PTSD or he's got um, issues that from his service. How do you process that part of it first, and then, then when you're the one actually giving it, how do you what do you, what's going through your mind? What do you what how do you process that as the as the actual aggressor? Well, see, I was very young when this happened, so I that I thought that's how a relationship goes. Um, but the other thing is, I was an army reservist, and he was active duty. Um, I was with him stationed at Hunter Army Airfield outside Savannah, and. It was very difficult to actually discern what was right and what was wrong happening. The other part of it is that my partner was a um, mental and emotional abuser. He was never physical. I mean, if it was physical, he never actually touched me. And for a lot of domestic violence victims, when the physical abuse doesn't happen, they don't believe it's actually domestic abuse. Mental and emotional abuse is still an abuse and it's it involves trying to separate and isolate uh your partner so then they don't have anyone else and they must depend on that partner um there it's a control aspect there's also a mental um thing that they do with gaslighting their partners as well and putting them down so then they can later put them back up into that support process hmm. And for you, how was the healing process for that? When, when did you say, okay, this is not right? What was the, the breaking point? I don't need the specific of what the event was, but what went in your mind, what trick, what clicked in your mind and said, you know what, I need to get out of this relationship. Because oftentimes we hear a lot of stories where women particularly stay in a relationship for whatever reason. Um, but this mm-hmm. hard for, as a man, as, I mean, I can't really imagine um, staying, in, staying in a relationship where I was being abused. Right. Um, For me, it was, I think I just had my last straw of having to deal with it because as myself as a soldier, I should be held at an equal standard for him. For him, he wanted me to, you know, be home home pregnant and barefoot, not a soldier. And he had a lot of issues with me doing those things. And I guess after many exercises, while he was away and I was away, that time of separation really gave me that boost to make those decisions like that. Um, and I didn't seek treatment until much later uh, because I didn't think I, w- I had much wrong mental health wise. Um, I was also deployed at the time. And a lot of times back then with the stigma of mental health, you're terrified to go uh, if you could lose your security clearance, which is completely incorrect because later I became a security clearance manager for the Army oh, Reserve. So, yeah, so, and I was have I held a uh, rated disability by the VA um, and receiving treatment and medication. But at that time, I didn't understand. So after my deployments, I came back and I went on Tricare Reserve Select, found a civilian doctor 
and really she really used uh, cognitive therapy to behavioral therapy to really challenge the thoughts that I was having in my head just so that I can discern what was the actual right and actual wrong. Hmm. Yeah. So, so in the, during the con- so back to the conference, so as, for this conference that you had in this October, what, what do you think was the greatest thing that came out of the conference and some of the conversations you had and the stories you heard and the information that you shared? Well, the, uh, the story that was shared about um, the male victim, and that was very big uh, to understand because, um, of course, it's, Majority of women, men are not um, very apt to admit that there may be a problem because there's a masculine toxicity issue that happens. And um, I have known a few men that have been in this situation. And um, this survivor had spoken about it, that um, it was actually his wife was 100 pounds soaking wet. He was 180 pounds, but then she still would hit him burn cigarettes on him and things like that, very physical things. And he al- she also did mental and uh, emotional abuse as well. But he took it because he they had already had kids by then. Mm-hmm. So he stayed for the kids to make sure everything was going, wrong, going right, at least for the children. Mm-hmm. And then when there was a domestic uh, event happening at their house, one of the neighbors had reported it. And once they separated the wife and the husband, it finally came out. The husband finally told them what was going on. And he had the scars and the bruises and everything. It still makes me tear up just to think about. He had that evidence of what was going on in the relationship. And he had to spend, still spending, a lot of his own money to make sure that he maintained the custody over the children he had the protective order, the, all the different things that was needed for that case. And uh, it was a very hard thing to listen to. But just to know out there for any men involved, it does happen in it. Um, and whatever they're feeling is valid hmm. and they are valued. And so they shouldn't be treated that way. And as well. And you touched on our important point because as for men, particularly if you have children with, with someone, it's very difficult because mm-hmm. then your, your biggest fear is losing custody of your children or not seeing your children. Because oftentimes when, it's, when something becomes physical or violent, usually the man's the one that's the first one that's, that's looked to as maybe the, as assumed to be the aggressor or somehow at fault. Um, oftentimes mm-hmm. we don't see women as potentially being the aggressor in a violent relationship. Yes, very true. And then just even without any of that pretense that might happen, the mother still nine times out of 10 will maintain a primary custody over the children. So it's that uh, hard line, hard walk that you have to take to try to make sure that you can do what's best best for the children as well. So tell me a little bit more about the the Veterans Legislative Voice. I know we've we've talked about this before, but give us in a brief 30-second snippet, like what is your organization, (laughs) what do you do, and then also what types of things can your organization do to solve or make this issue more either more bring more awareness to it or in some ways help the problem? Yes. So uh, Veteran Legislative Voice is just a one-stop shop, so you can figure out what bills, policy that can help you help others and help – help anyone else that you are worried about and want to support. And I focus on veterans and military issues. Um, 
since we had spoken about the uh, domestic violence, there is a bill, two bills that I do want to highlight. And one is the Military Family Violence Prevention Act that was introduced. And that is actually a bill that that is going to expand and enhance programs and activities under the DOD for prevention and response, specifically for domestic abuse, child child abuse and neglect among military families. And the other bill is the Violence Against Women Act, excuse me, Reauthorization Act. And that one would actually reauthorize things that that uh, from a previous bill from uh, 1994. And this also will include um, for veterans that they will also have a center and a location for veterans to deal with it. Because for veterans, when there is an abuser and if it's the it's the actual veteran and not in the caretakers, the victim. The caretaker tries to leave the situation. They are also liable for um, elder abuse or neglect because of that. So there's an added legal issue that they may have if they try to escape. So this type of center would help support them as well. Okay. And talk about one thing, too, because I'm already getting buzzes on social media that there are so many laws already on the books that we don't need more laws, blah, 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 whatever. Tell us, explain us and walk us through the necessity of ref, either refining laws or adding new laws as opposed to, okay, you know, there's already, of course, laws in the books that, that make it illegal to hit someone or to, to yeah. assault someone or to abuse someone. But the types of legislation we're talking about is a little bit different. Yes, it's more of the funding for the programs to support those that are going through these situations, but also to help prevent or to intervene when things are about to happen, are happening, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's more of the side for legislative bills. It is more about funding to support those that are going through for the government. Mm-hmm. And how do people get a hold of the Veterans Legislative Voice? How do they connect with you and how do they support you? Okay, so um, you can search Veteran Legislative Voice. I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And my website, which I am almost done with uh, reorganizing, but it looks really great right now. Um, it is vet, V-E-T-S, legislativevoice.org. And it's listing all the bills, uh, um, majority of the really good bills to prioritize for veterans and military. And also, audience, keep in mind, we're also streaming live on Facebook. And you can also see us on, on, um, on, uh, as, as, on, I'm sorry, on Zondra TV, which is on the Roku app. Zondra TV is an app you can download for Roku, also Amazon Fire TV and Apple TV. And you can also listen to us on the iHeartRadio app. This search America's Heroes Group and watch us on digital streaming. And also, so, so Stephanie, um, what would you like to see happen in this issue um, on a national level? So what are some of the things that would make support for people who have uh, been abused or need a way to get out of a bad situation? Um, what are some of the key things that, that as legislators and as lawmakers – people can think about to start to consider to try to, to try to solve this problem other than just giving funding and, and trying to, to solve the resource after the fact. But how do we actually make things better when people are going through the moment? I would say for the, the funding and the prioritizing for mental health, because I mean, we mentioned it before that um, some of the abusers or survivors, um, they're also dealing with PTSD and mental health is one of the most neglected mental uh, medical Uh, specialties in this country. Um, Many people go without it, and one in three people will have a mental health condition, uh, uh, produce one in their livelihood. And 
So it's so common, but then it's one of the least treated. Right, not crazy. Um, that's, I mean, it's just not. I keep using that word. I mean, not to use a pun. I, mean, I keep saying that word. No, we're not supposed to use that word. But it's nutty. Yeah. Why do we not? Yeah. Why do we not prioritize mental health? Like we assume that okay, your arms break down, your heart goes bad, your knees go bad, your toes go bad, but you can't talk about your brain. I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Right, and, and for me, I was raised in a Christian household, but then my grandparents were back when mental health was still being put. Uh, Still trying to get put together my grand one of my grandfathers was dealing with bad depression they prescribed him vicodin and he got addicted because hmm. back then it was supposed to calm people down and those type of misuses mistreatments from the past just causes all these different rifts and feelings and perspectives towards mental health hmm. um i know I know other cultures, uh, they don't believe to do that. My mother kept telling me to just go to church and I'll be fine. And got to love church, but I need this on top of that. <laughs> so those those type of things just have to keep in mind and keep fighting that stigma. And I wonder sometimes if there is a connection because we this is a country in a lot of parts of the world. I, I, haven't, I can't tell you what it's like United States versus other countries, but this country I know that we do a lot of self-medicating. So we yes. use alcohol, we use all kinds of illicit drugs, and now we're using um, uh, medical marijuana and things like that, which is going to be probably national at some point. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying mm-hmm. that from my own perspective. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but it probably will at some point. So there seems to be – so people are, people are self-medicating all across the country in different ways. There's got to mm-hmm. be – that has got to be a, a canary in a coal mine at letting you know that mental health is something that more people are willing to admit that they suffer from. Right. And they really need to start from, to me, education from the beginning. Teach kids, you know, how what you're feeling is valid and this is how you deal with it. You're getting mad. Let's figure out how to get you calm. What's causing you to be mad? And let's try to fix this. Those type of things, learning that from an early age will cause so many children from that generation to have a much better intelligence about their mental health and their emotional intelligence. So they know how to deal with things. I also agree with having um, teachings and classes on consent to understand the personal boundaries between each other and what is consent and what is actually not consent. Those type of things should be taught at an early age. Hmm, I agree. It makes a lot of sense. So do you have any concerns or any or maybe there's a right or wrong way to craft a law when you're talking about something as complicated as mental health? Because oftentimes we see that when legislators try to create laws because they don't have the the specialty or the knowledge of the specific area we're talking about, that they can uh, sometimes make a situation worse because they just don't know what they're talking about. Correct. And one of the things that most veterans are most worried about is losing their Second Amendment rights due to going through mental health treatment, because that is something that also gets brought up. And one of the reasons why some do do not go for actual mental health treatment. Crazy fact, 40% of uh, veterans that commit suicide were never treated for mental health. Wow. That statistic out there. Um, They really need to be mindful of how getting a diagnosis, getting treatment would affect other things. To me, the other side of that is an employment. There is no standard for paid sick leave, paid annual leave, any other type of leave for the civilian sector in this country. And so people do not go get treated 
for many different things because they need to earn that money so they can pay their bills and keep their livelihood. So those type of things can be really important. So standardizing that. (laughs) Stephanie, thanks for joining us, Stephanie. I really appreciate you having me on your show. And um, if you have any questions, reach out to America's Heroes Group and also see Stephanie Collada, U.S. Army Reserve Vet, uh, uh, Sergeant First Class, on her website, Veterans Legislative Voice. And this is America's Heroes Group. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.